If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 92 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with John Mancini, Chief Evangelist and Past President of AIM, the Association for Information and Image Management. Before we turn to the interview with John, we want to thank your membership, our sponsor for the third quarter of 2017. Your membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. And related to this episode's interview with John Mancini, we want to highlight as a resource an ebook that John Mancini has written. He's published more than 15 ebooks, but among uh, the more recent ones is one called Information Chaos versus versus Information Opportunity. Organizations are are drowning in a sea of content and information today, and the ebook explains the challenge of info chaos and offers. Um, 34 actions that organizations can take to gain control over the chaos. You can find out how to get the information chaos versus information opportunity ebook by going to leadinglearning.com slash info chaos. I feel like I could stand to tame a little of that chaos myself. So, you know, when, when John Mancini talks, he's somebody that uh, my ears perk up right away. He's just always an interesting guy, has interesting things to say. In this case, you, Salisa, were the one who got to, to talk with him. So what, what did you cover? Well, we talked about quite a bit. Uh, as you mentioned, that he's currently chief evangelist for AIM. Um, he moved into that role once he left uh, the presidency there. But he's also an author, a speaker, a thought leader, um, particularly in the areas of, of information management and digital transformation, and also content marketing. So we talked about things like how digital transformation is impacting the way people learn and the way organizations provide learning. Um, we talked about the link between content marketing and education, because Jeff, uh, you know, that's one of our favorite topics, that sort of link between marketing and education. Um, and John and I also touched on the opportunities and threats for organizations like AIM that are providing lifelong learning. John is uh, an all-around, sharp, insightful guy. He has a lot to offer, so I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. Well, it sounds like he definitely hits on a lot of topics that are very important to us and I know are important to a lot of listeners as well. So let's get on with the interview. Hello out there, I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by John Mancini. John is Chief Evangelist and Past President of AIM, the Association for Information and Image Management. John is an author, speaker, and thought leader in the areas of information management and digital transformation, areas that certainly impact how we learn and how we provide learning. So John, thanks for making time for the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks, Elisa. Nice to be here today. And since I only offered a brief introduction, would you start us off by saying a bit more about AIM and your your past and present roles there, and and maybe also a bit more about your interests and areas of focus? 
Sure. I have a uh, rather checkered past in the uh, nonprofit business. I've been doing this for um, 35 plus years with three different associations. So I started with a group called the Public Affairs Council, which is the professional association of corporate public affairs. I then went to the American Electronics Association and was the um, chief operating officer there. And um, uh, they're the primary advocate for U.S. technology interest, uh, not in existence anymore, but that's another story. And um, then the last 20-plus years with AIM, which is uh, focused on the content information management space. Well, and so that title of chief evangelist is pretty new for you, right? Since uh, just, just a few months uh, in that role. Yeah, it is pretty new. My kids laugh at it, and my wife thinks it's uh, it's rather hilarious, but um, <laughs> it's actually a real role. And uh, the the background for it is, uh, I would, like I say, I've been doing um, associations for 35-plus um, years, and so I came to the conclusion about a year, year and a half ago that uh, I wanted to switch gears a bit. And uh, after, it's probably on the heels of I added them up, and I think I had done 100 board meetings mm. over the course of, uh, <laughs> of the last 25 years. Years. And so I thought, you know, the part of the job that I like the most is um, the externally facing stuff and, you know, primarily writing and speaking, doing keynotes, things like that, and also working directly with some of our companies. And so I approached our board and said, you know, why don't we switch gears up a bit? And so they agreed. And um, um, one of my associates, Peggy Winton, who I'd worked with a long time, uh, became president, and that's terrific. She's doing a, a much better job than um, than I did, and I get to fr- time freed up to do a cool podcast like this and to uh, help talk a little bit about some of the issues that I care about, and you know, the issues I care about are um, technology and more specifically content and information management. Um, I care a lot about associations and how they go about their task and some of the challenges that they have. And then I also care a lot about um, how we market our services, more specifically inbound marketing and how we change the way that we communicate with our constituents. Well, great. I definitely want to dig into some of those areas of interest for you. And, and, and let's start with digital transformation and disruption. And, and maybe you can just tell us what that means to you and, and what implications you see specifically for organizations providing learning and education as AIM does, as most associations do. Sure. You know, when I think about this, um, I, uh, we go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina uh, every year, and uh, that's a very sandy beach. And so one of the first things you learn when you uh, your ki- take your kids to that beach is watch out for the riptides, you know, mm-hmm. watch out for the rip currents. And, and, I th- and, and a rip current, for people that don't know it, is when you have this, you know, these waves come in, um, they get trapped on shore, and then when they go back offshore again, they create a channel and they create this, this huge force going out in a very, very narrow space. And so the temptation when you get caught in one of these rip currents is to try to swim against it. Um, But that's just a recipe for disaster. (laughs) What you have to do is either go with it or swim parallel to the shore to get out of it. And so when I look at the waves of technology that are spilling into organizations right now, uh, both in the public sector and the private sector, you know, I think they're creating lots and lots of riptides uh, for companies. And so you're you're winding up in situations where people's business models that have been successful for many years um, are all of a sudden being disrupted by uh, players that they never even saw coming. And so 
you know, you think about what happened in the um, film industry, for example, to Kodak, and uh, how in the course of just 10 years, that whole business model basically disappeared. And you think about the newspaper business, and uh, at one point, there was $65 billion worth of advertising revenue um, supporting um, journalism. And essentially, all that disappeared in the course of five years and was dissipated out to Craigslist. And, you know, think about what happened to the taxi business, for example. And, uh, man, if there was ever a protected business in the world, you would have thought that one would have been safe. And then Uber came along and completely upset that apple cart. So my point is, is that there's, there's, there are going to be more and more of those kinds of disruptive forces in the market as uh, we move into the next wave of technologies. And particularly when you think about associations and you think about learning, you know, one of the issues we have to think about is how do we prepare people for those changes? Um, how do we adjust our product offerings quick enough in order to be responsive to them so that we're not dealing with yesterday's problems? And so, you know, there's a there's a real need for for nimbleness and agility and uh, responsiveness and, um, frankly, in the um, association business, um, we have a lot of those pressures. That isn't necessarily always our trump card because we deal with boards and we deal with um, lots of members. And so changing those expectations, I think, is uh, is challenging right now. Absolutely. And, and so... One of the things you mentioned earlier when you were talking about some of your your interests and and what you've engaged in was was marketing and um and I think uh, I clearly see a relationship between content marketing and, and education just because effective content marketing usually is educational in some way. But I, I'd be interested in your perspective on the relationship between uh, marketing and education. Sure. Um, you know, for us, you know, for everybody, marketing has always been this uh, one to many exercise. And, you know, we would broadcast out messages and they were pretty undifferentiated in how they uh, were communicated. And then we hoped that some fraction of people would hear them and they would come to us. And what technology has changed is that, you know, it's put the consumer of those messages in the driver's seat. And so they have to be, you have to be much, much more responsive to the needs of uh, uh, the listener rather than the uh, person actually um, making the broadcast. So for us, what's that that has meant is that we've really embraced content marketing and uh, particularly inbound marketing. Um, we use a product called HubSpot for that. It's been pretty transformative in our business in terms of thinking about how we interact with our members and customers. And what it's allowed us to do is really understand in a much more nuanced way what people are interested in, what the issues are that they're trying to deal with, and then try to adjust our product offerings, including our educational programs, to be responsive to that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, over time, I think, you know, that one size fits all just disappears. And, you know, you've, you've got like many, many markets of, um, of smaller pockets than you ever did before. Well, so I think I'm hearing two things. I mean, one is is that you're you're using um, HubSpot and, and other tools to to make sure that what you're telling members is is it's related to topics and subjects that they're interested in. But you're also using it to try and um, see where you might be lacking in in your current offering, and you, it's also an opportunity to find uh, to discover areas where you might need to develop some new products. Exactly. It's kind of a two, it's sort of a two pronged thing. Uh, you know, on the one hand, we're able now to really understand how people are interacting 
with our communications. And so um, we have 11 different technology clusters we look at on an ongoing basis, and we score people's interactions with those technology interests based on uh, websites they go, the website they come to, where they go, what pages they go to, what kinds of um, training they access, um, what kinds of papers they download. And so that scoring then allows us to communicate with them in a much more segmented basis about the existing training offerings that we have, which match up against those um, those technology sets. And then the flip side of that is that those that communication flow is highlighting for us <clears throat> the need to be much more focused on, say, application areas um, that people care about, much more focused on vertical industries. And so over time, we're adjusting our product set to try to be more responsive to that. Well, it sounds like what you're doing is fairly sophisticated. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of people might go, well, gosh, what type of staffing does it take to, 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 to do all those things, to track those technology clusters, the 11 of them, and to look at that data. Did you have a big team involved in this? Is it something? Thousands, thousands yeah, yes. of people. <laughs> no, so actually it's, you know, it's one of the things that uh, you talk about passions earlier. You know, one of my passions is that associations um, are expected to perform at Amazon-like levels mm-hmm. when it comes to customer interaction. And yet we all are pretty much small businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few great big giant associations. AIM is 25 people, so not very big. Um, and I think you know, when I talked about some of the waves of technology that are spilling over and being disruptive, um, on the plus side, you know, we have the ability now to access tools that were way beyond our capabilities um, 10, 15 years ago uh, because we just couldn't afford them. And you know, I think about, for example, Five or six years ago, um, we had a um, email delivery product. Um, I won't go into any names that cost us like forty-five thousand dollars a year, and then we had another marketing auto- automation solution that cost us about forty-five thousand dollars a year, and then we went down the road with HubSpot, which is a SaaS solution, software as a service, and that costs us about forty-five thousand dollars a year. And for that, we get all the email delivery. We get all the analytics associated with interactions with both our website as well as our communication messages. It has a Salesforce-like component attached to it, and we basically use it to house our blog, too. So mm-hmm. so that what, what technology has done is enable a little tiny organization like us to um, essentially try to um, act more like big boys. Right. And, and that's a, I think that's a... That's a pretty powerful thing. Um, it, it, you know, it's a very disruptive kind of thing as well in many other ways. But for, uh, you know, I think about um, how association technology has changed in the course of the last uh, 20, 25 years. Um, that's another pet uh, issue of mine. I had a uh, an ebook that the uh, association technology community. I'm not sure how crazy about it they were um, about two years ago that said. Um, the AMS is dead, <laughs> and with the association management systems that right. we use for associations, and it was a little hyperbolic, to be honest. But um, I was trying to make a point that those proprietary, roped-off, specialized, expensive, lots of customization that that ship was sailing, and we had to find better solutions. And I don't know how closely you follow the AMS space, but there's been a lot of acquisitions in the last uh, yes, uh, yes. couple months, and. <laughs> And I think a lot of that's because of that. Yeah, a lot of roll-up happening out there, absolutely. Yep. Yep. 
So to, to shift gears just a little bit, I mean, I know that you were involved in the creation of the Certified Information Professional Program at mm-hmm. AIM, and so I know you've paid pretty close and direct attention to education, even as you were at the helm of the organization. So I just would like to dig in a little bit and find out about how AIM thinks about its role as an education provider and, and where does learning fit in with AIM's overarching mission and vision? Learning is really at the core of um, what we're all about. You know, our, our, our basic approach is that information is your most important asset and learn the skills to manage it. And that's what we're really all about. And so we, we do that in the learning environment in two ways. Um, one is that we provide what we call deep dive courses um, in specific technology areas. So in the, our case, it's things like um, enterprise content management and information governance and electronic records management and taxonomy and metadata. And so what we do there is basically provide a, a deep dive for people that you know have to get kind of uh, very involved in the strategizing and implementation of systems. And we recognize their accomplishment in completing that through a certificate program. And then about Oh, gosh, I think maybe like seven or eight years ago, we also came to the conclusion that there was a need for a body of knowledge that cut across all those deep dive disciplines. And so we embarked on creating an actual formal certification against that. And that's the Certified Information Professional program that you referenced. And so the point there is that every organization faces the challenge of becoming a digital organization. And most organizations have focused more on the data side of the equation rather than on what I would call the information side of the information and uh, equation. And what I mean by that is information is basically data plus content. Mm-hmm. And, and so we created this CIP to basically um, provide a body of knowledge relative to what's necessary to be an effective information professional and then created the certification around the body of knowledge and I think uh, now we're up to about 1,200 CIPs, I think. Mm-hmm. So lots of interest, lots of resonance in that in the marketplace right now. And, and so did that CIP sort of open up a, a slightly different market for you um, in terms of, or was it still sort of the same types of members that you had been serving before and there was just this new offering that, that appealed to them? Or, or did you also find that people you hadn't traditionally reached were interested in the CIP? Yeah, it was um, definitely there was an interest amongst the existing constituency and, you know, particularly folks that uh, wanted a formal certification. Although one of the things that I've, you know, realized, even though most of us understand the nuance between a certificate and a certificate and a formal certification. Um, a lot of other people don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they just bandy about those initials, just, you know, um, regardless of whichever one it is. Um, and so, but there was a, con- a constituency out there that wanted more formality about that, which was one customer for the CIP. Um, the other one, though, as you alluded to, is a, is a broader constituency out there of people that you know, may not be the folks that have to know every single detail about um, implementing a records management retention schedule and setting up a taxonomy or, you know, a metadata strategy or stuff like that. But they have to have an awareness of all those concepts so that they can be effective in a business context. And so that's the market that's opened up for us. Um, I think actually it's going to broaden even more 
um, in the next few years because ultimately it becomes, as I said, it becomes a information becomes a data plus content play. Um, and we've started to drift in that direction with the CIP. Uh, there's still a fairly heavy focus on content. And so I think bringing the data people into that world becomes, I think, um, the next step in the evolution of this. Yeah, well, it sounds like a great growing opportunity for, for AIM. And and so actually, one of the questions I have is is just big picture, what do you see as the major opportunities and threats for AIM? And I'm thinking that perhaps some of those opportunities and threats might be um, might apply to other associations as well. And, and in particular, if you can think about AIM as a provider of lifelong learning, what are the opportunities and threats there? Sure. I think... Um I think, and they do, I think, apply to a lot of um, a lot of associations are in the same uh, set of challenges. I think number one is that we are all challenged by the fact that the traditional places that we put up toll booths in order to um, collect enough revenue to keep the lights on and sustain the whatever profession or industry we're in um, are changing a lot. They've already changed a lot as a result of the web, but I think they continue to change. And so, you know, that question of, of who pays and what do they pay for, I think is a, is an ongoing challenge. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, I think, uh, point one, um, point two is that I think associations face a challenge in the creation and delivery of their, learning and training programs. Um, and, and what I mean by that, and, and I'll just sidebar for a minute and give you a little bit of an example. Um, I did a course about two or two and a half years ago for lynda.com. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they since were acquired by LinkedIn and then LinkedIn was acquired by Microsoft. <laughs> and, and so, um, the, the experience of doing that course with Linda was really um, interesting for me. It was called uh, Meeting the Challenge of Digital Transformation. And, 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 and what occurred to me along the way was that, you know, it was so professional and so well done and such high production values. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought along the way that this is a hard thing for a lot of associations to replicate. Right. And, and at the time... Um, this was before Linda got acquired by LinkedIn. I remember I did a blog post and I said, I said, wow, association, this was, this was such an amazing experience for me in terms of quality of content and delivery of content and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and my point in the blog post was, gosh, if, um, if Linda ever gets together with LinkedIn and <laughs> LinkedIn starts being part of, uh, of, uh, you know, doing quasi certification and issuing badges and, you know, uh, determining competencies and stuff like that that that's going to be a real challenge for associations. And I think that's still the case. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, you know, when I look at the sophistication that that has and I look at, um, at, the, at the bandwidth that they have now with that platform, um, that's a hard thing for associations. You know, in my heart of hearts, I wish LinkedIn was much more receptive to associations than they are. Um, you know, they, uh, they kind of... Um, treat associations uh, not the way that I think that is the most productive for them, but that's kind of their choice. But um, I do think there's there's a challenge there, both on the networking side and on the learning, lifelong learning side, in terms of what's going on within LinkedIn and the impact that it potentially has long-term on associations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, you know, you you use that lynda.com example, you know, and, and that just the high quality of of 
the output that they're doing. I mean, so, you know, what is the answer for, for associations or for AIM? You know, does that mean that you just, are there certain areas that you just sort of cede to um, the competition and instead you focus on something else, you know, um, that's, that's a little different or a little more custom for your, your members or what's the, what's the well, answer? And that, that, that I think is the challenge for, um, when I talk about the toll booths along the way is that, you know, there's a lot of different elements of the traditional association model that wind up having a lot of pressure on them as we move forward. So, you know, we used to be able to um, justify, we used to be able to uh, put a toll booth around membership and, you know, content that was restricted to members and experiences that were restricted to members and those that were open to the public. And, drawing those lines becomes increasingly difficult. You know, everybody expects everything to be free. Mm-hmm. And and so that's kind of problem one. You know, problem two, when I think about some of the challenges moving forward, is that um, many of us have chapter models that have been the source of much education that is done at the local level in organizations. Um, a lot of those chapter models are archaic and dated and you know, don't really meet the test of what it takes to get a 30-year-old to show up. You know, I think about this all the time with, um, I have um, uh, my, my, my oldest son and his wife have two kids that live in North Carolina. They both have challenging jobs. And I think to myself, you know, what are the odds that either one of them, given their lives, would show up at some traditional chapter model, you know, for a chicken dinner and a speaker <laughs> at 6.30 on a weeknight um, when they're trying to juggle a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And the odds are no, they're zero. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's, I think, a delivery challenge that we all have, that we have to think about. We have to think about new models to do that that are more flexible. Um, I think, you know, you think about publications, for example, you know, that was always a rich source of revenue for us. Um, That's under some siege. Um, You know, I think there's still in this market are opportunities for significant revenues. I think if you have a a killer certification in the learning area and something particularly that's mandated by whatever profession you're in, um, in order to have. Um, that's a great business to be in. And right now it still is um, very successful. If you have a killer giant event um, that you can leverage a lot of other things off of, that's a great business model. Um, or if you have a killer legislative issue that everybody feels mm-hmm. that they have to band, uh, band together around. But, you know, most organizations don't have one of those three. And, and so, it becomes a very, very challenging environment, I think, moving forward. Well, so to to look on things a little more optimistically, let, I would like to ask, you know, what, what's exciting you uh, in the learning field these days? Maybe it's something that you have going on at AIM, maybe it's just more broadly in the learning landscape, but what's happening, uh, what's changing that, that is exciting to you with learning? Well, I think there's, <clears throat> there's, you know, it's such an exciting environment when it comes to availability of um, learning resources. I mean, uh, you know, for all of my um, worrying a bit about the impact ultimately that, you know, Linda slash LinkedIn has on association models, from a consuming perspective, 
um, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, right. uh, the, you know, there's lots of learning opportunities out there. When I think about, you know, some of the things that are going on with MOOCs and some of the things that are going on in terms of, you know, changing the way that universities deliver um, education and training. Um, again, that's, you know, terrifically exciting from a consuming uh, perspective. Um, again, I think a bit of a challenge for associations moving forward. But, you know, I think the net-net the is that there are, there are more opportunities for learning than ever existed before and more nuanced ones. You know, you can find, mm-hmm. you can find learning and, and content against just about any kind of a crazy niche that you have an interest in. And, um, and you can do it sitting, um, you know, sitting in your office at home um, without having to go anywhere. Um, it's, it's just incredible when you think about um, how that has changed. Um, and like I say, there, that's an opportunity for associations, but it also for some associations that, that can't figure out how to adjust their business models to take advantage of that becomes a challenge as well. Absolutely. So next to last question, and one we like to ask everyone we interview for the Leading Learning Podcast, how do you approach your own lifelong learning? That's a good question. I, I, I know sometimes I think I ought to be more disciplined. Um, if, if I, let me tell you what I would like to do. Um, okay. Then I'll tell you what I would actually do. <laughs> what I would like to do is, is every week say to myself, okay, given that um, abundance of courses and resources that I talked about earlier, um, spend just one hour a week on individual and personal professional development. You know, uh, figure out an area that I want to learn more about and then just carve out an hour a, a week and just do it. And that's a discipline that I frankly don't have, but I think it's one that is going to be necessary moving forward because the body of knowledge that we all have in whatever profession we're in is going to be turning over every three, four, five years, and you've got to keep current in order to stay relevant. Um, so I'd like to do more of that. I do some of that, uh, but you know, you get sidetracked, you wind up doing this and that, and you know, you don't kind of keep to some of those commitments. Um, I do a lot in terms of, um, using Twitter, for example, um, as a screen to highlight resources that I ought to look at. Um, and I also use LinkedIn for that purpose as well. So, um, typically that's how I find things that I want to consume that um, are of interest to me as a, an association person and as a technology person. Um, I also try to, um, you know, periodically dip into YouTube and into um, the LinkedIn courses and stuff like that to, you know, embark on something that's a little bit different and a little bit new in order to keep current on that. And then I do think there's room for in-person events and all this. Um, one of the things that we do, we do an annual conference and, uh, and, and the emphasis of that conference has changed a lot um, from what I think about um, what it used to be like 15 years ago. We had a trade show, and we, we shelved that and then reintroduced a conference about five years ago. And what's different now is that the premium is on an engaging, personal, connective experience as opposed to wandering around a bunch of aisles with um, exhibits. Mm-hmm. and. And so, you know, that's a place where I try to pick out those events selectively that, you know, can can help me do that, um, help me find other people who have similar challenges um, and, you know, take advantage of those. So I think, you know, if you put sort of a wrap on it, it's uh, try to mine 
um, YouTube and, and LinkedIn and other places where there's um, courses that um, are useful. Um, secondly, try to be aware of conferences that place a premium on personal engagement rather than talking heads. Um, and then thirdly, use the social media that are out there, like Twitter and LinkedIn in particular, to help other people help you find the stuff that's relevant to you. And, you know, basically use them as a screening device. And that, I think, has been very productive for me. Well, I love that you started with the how you would like to approach your learning. I think, I think you're the first person to have done that, but I think that's a very honest answer and a helpful answer, this reminder to us that there's how we learn and there's always room for improvement for how we learn. It was, it was, it was funny. I, was, I did a, um, a piece over at, uh, a friend of mine runs a course at George Mason University for um, seniors making the transition to the workplace. And um, he has people come in and speak to them. And so I always have the... Uh, incredibly sexy job of talking about nonprofit career. <laughs> <laughs> and so I go in and one of the points I try to make, which I think is, is really important. And I don't think, um, people realize it is that in an environment, um, you know, the millennials and Gen Z's as they come into the marketplace in which, you know, they're probably going to have 10, 12, 15 different jobs during the course of their career. Um, you can't rely on your employer to nurture your professional development. And so I think what you need to do in that case is start very early in your career to commit to that kind of discipline that I wish I had had. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, because, because nobody's going to do it other than you. Absolutely. And so last question, if listeners want to know more about AIM or to the extent that you're open to it, if they want to connect with you, where would you have them go? Sure. I guess a couple things. One is uh, the AIM website is aim.org. And I would specifically recommend to folks that you take a look at our training and education programs. We're particularly proud of them. And I think they do a really good job of both walking through a deep dive navigation into the technologies that underlie the marketplace, but also through the CIP, give that broad base experience. So that's kind of place one. Uh, place two is that um, I have a blog called uh, Digital Landfill, and um, it obviously from the name focuses on some of the challenges that people have with managing large volumes of digital information, and that's at info.aim.org slash digital dash landfill, and so would recommend that, I think, is a good place to go to. And then if folks want to contact me on on social, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or most places, I'm at jmancini77. Would be happy to connect. I'd love to say that's my birth date, but you could probably guess <laughs> that it is not. Um, and then also, just if anybody wants to contact me at AIM itself on email, that's fine, too. That's uh, John Mancini, all one word, at AIM.org. Well, wonderful. We'll make sure that we get uh, all of these uh, ways to access you and uh, more about AIM in the, to the show notes. But John, thank you very much for taking time to talk with me today. Sure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much. That wraps up our interview with John Mancini. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks once again to your membership. You can find out more about your membership and all it offers at yourmembership.com. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 92. At that link, you'll see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. 
We'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that will direct you to the right place. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us know that you value what we're doing, and it also makes it easier for others to find the podcast when they're searching. We also hope that you'll consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can just pick uh, your preferred social network and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.